I am recording. Okay, I am too. Marshall? You didn't drag poor Marshall into all of this, did you? <laughs> Hello there, folks. This is Rish Outfield, and you are listening to the Rish Out Cast. I have a special guest with me this week, and it is uh, Marshall Latham of the Journey Into podcast, among others. Yes, uh, Beyond Ola. <laughs> it took me three or four seconds to understand what that meant. I was just like, what? Beyond Ola. The beyond is when it's that vegetarian meat, right? <laughs> That's Impossible Burger, right? Yeah. Oh, sorry to detract. Uh, the the reason I've got you here today is that uh, you did a foolish thing. <laughs> Usually I have a uh, a writer's conference in February that I go to every year, and uh, you got it into your head that you would go this year, and uh, nothing could dissuade you. Yes. <laughs> Something's got to kick me into gear here, if I ever want to say I'm a writer. Yeah, and, and so you drove down and got a hotel room and uh, suffered for days <laughs> over this. And, and was it just hearing me talk about it for years? Or have, have you just always wanted to go to a writer's conference and they don't have any where you are? Yeah, mainly. I mean, I, I have heard you talk about it on your podcast over the years. And I, I know that Big's been a few times. And, you know, you'd say sometimes, not every time but often you would say yeah this really inspired me to write and you know gave me enthusiasm to do it and maybe I could be successful and that kind of thing and so I thought you know that's what I need I need well it'd be good to learn a few things from a conference but mainly I was looking for the the inspiration so I said why not and that was one of my goals this year was to attend at least one writers conference and so I've accomplished that goal now <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice. But uh, it's cool to talk to somebody who has accomplished a goal. <laughs> that's that's one goal. But yeah, no, I I did get a lot out of it. I wish I hadn't been in the middle of podcasting in the deep end for the month of February because I felt a little bit distracted by that. It would have been great if I could have been going back to the hotel and writing every night or something, you know. But Yeah, that's right. You had to do your your editing and put out episodes every single night that we were there. It was a 3-day conference. They usually do it Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and um you and I would get food and then go our separate ways and um sure enough there'd be another episode of your marathon. <laughs> The next day. Yeah, that was poor planning as far as the timing of the conference and everything. But that's over with now, and now I don't have any excuses. So now I need to, to take all these tidbits of knowledge and inspiration that I got from the conference and sit down and write. Well, that's that's good. It is something that I would talk about a lot, that I went there and I was surrounded by people who were enthusiastic about their art, who were doing it. Who were showing that you could make money from it or who were could get a, a fan base, a readership, or just a sense of personal 
achievement. You know, you'd hear them on their panels and I'd think, well, I could do that. I can, I can do what they're talking about. There are always the people who do things that I think are impossible. And, and I know that I, the one that we always go to is the panel that Big and I went to where they said how to write a novel in three days. <laughs> yeah, I still regret having gone to that panel, although it, you know, it provided conversation, at least, of, you know, would you wear adult diapers if it meant that you would finish your book? But I found in, in the years of going that not every single panel will say something that I need to hear or that I can apply that applies to me. And you have to just learn to grab hold of the things that feel like they're applicable to you. One of the panels that I went to by accident, I went to the wrong room and I was sitting there and they said, you know, welcome to, so you want to be a podcaster. It was just a bunch of people who were, who were giving advice for people who wanted to start a podcast. And I, uh, I was just like, oh, oh no, no, I don't want to be in this one. And so I left and ran down to the other side of the building to go to the panel that I had meant to go to, and it was full. They wouldn't let any more people into it, and so I would have been better off just staying in that uh, So You Want to Be a Podcaster panel, I suppose. Although what I did was I sat down, opened my notebook, and I wrote for that hour, so that was fine. But, you know, there, there are people of different... Um, not skill levels, what's the word, of, of experience levels, you know, somebody that Levels of doing success, it. yeah. Yeah, somebody that had been doing it for years and years. Like, there was one guy, uh, and I saw him at several panels, and I think he said, I just finished, like, my 37th novel. And people would applaud every time he did that, but you, surely there was somebody in every room that was just like, I can't even finish my first. Why am I even here? And hopefully... You know, they don't pay attention to that stuff. They, they, they pay attention to the stuff that can help them, that can apply to where they are. Yeah, and I, I definitely think I was able to do that. Um, you know, several of the panels I thought were really helpful. There were several that were kind of, you know, and I'm sure you're going to get that in, in every kind of a conference, but there was one that we went to that talked about, a thr you know, how to write a thriller there was one that I went to called Keep Them Wanting More. And uh, there was another one about heroes and villains and things like that, that a lot of similar things were said or, you know, I was able to get a lot out of that as far as, you know, how to engage the reader, how to write for an audience so that they would want to keep reading the story or the book or whatever. And, uh, yeah, I think I got some good notes and was able to, hopefully I'll be able to take that and apply it as I'm writing. Of course, everybody writes a little differently. So maybe not everything I think was useful will be, but, um, at least I have some, some things to try. So there, there are, are various, um, gosh, disciplines there's writing and there's role-playing uh, or sorry, gaming and there's art and there are when people will read from their paper editing. Uh, yeah. Th there was an editing uh, branch there and they have several panels 
dedicated to those subjects, and a, uh, a lot of them are going at the same time. I think there would probably be, what, seven to ten options every single hour. And you and I would sit down and talk about, okay, what, what do you want to go to next? What's, what's, uh, what's interesting to you? And sometimes there was more than one where it's like, oh, I could go to this one, but I, I could also go to this one. And, and uh, there were times when we split up and both of us went to, we went our separate ways. And, and that, see, that's, an, that's a cool thing. That's an advantage to going uh, with more than one person. When we did the Star Wars celebration last year, it was cool that somebody could just stand in line while, uh, while the other people were getting or going to the bathroom or uh, looking at something or just making their way to the other room. Yeah. Uh, because it was a big, big place. And same, same with this. I remember there being a panel that we were worried about getting into. And you just sat there for the panel before it. Right. So that for sure we would have a spot. Uh, and I thought that that was cool. Shoot, that... There were a couple of panels that I really wanted to talk to you about, and I think I did at the time. But one uh, one guy was really, really opinionated. He was a writer, and he was a, um, a what do you call somebody that you, you give them your manuscript and they go through line by line and say, okay, I cut this, and this, 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 this doesn't make sense, and you use the wrong word here. There, there's, there's, what do they call that kind of person? A something editor. Like a proof editor? Proof reader? Well, maybe. Copy? Copy editor, yeah, I think that's what it was. And he was so opinionated and just like his, it was his, his way or the highway. <laughs> and he was saying, you know, you can't write in passive voice. You know, a good time was had by all. Ugh. You know, it's just like when I see a manuscript and it has passive voice on the first page, I know that I'm going to reject it. He said that. And he said, I've gotten to the point where when my kids want me to buy them a book, I will read the first page. And if it has passive voice on it, I won't buy them the book. Oh, jeez. Wow. (laughs) And we talked about it afterward because he would flash up on the on his screen a sentence and he'd be like okay what's wrong with this sentence and they were grammatically correct and my mind just couldn't get around what he was trying to say what he wanted uh i'm not sure i i should use an example i don't have my notes in front of me but it was uh, using a roundabout way of saying something where you could cut out extra words and just be direct and have like an action verb instead of a state of being verb. He said, you want to avoid to be verbs. And um, somebody said something about uh, Janice said softly. And he's like, why say softly? Why say any L-Y word? And he's like, I hate passive voice the most, but the thing I hate second most are adverbs. Ugh. It's like, why not say Janice whispered? It's like, not, none of you should ever use adverbs. And I was just like, what? Ever? Ever use adverbs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the guy didn't stop there. He, he was absolutely 
dead set against L-Y words, like quietly and quickly and slowly and softly. But what's more was that he said that he tried to avoid using adjectives too, or words that describe nouns. And somebody in the audience asked him, well, what do you mean? Is like, Annabelle wore a frilly green dress. So what words do you not need there? Somebody said, frilly? And he goes, neither of them. You don't need frilly or green. Is it significant that it's green? Is that going to come back later? If not, drop it. And that, that, that's, that's crazy. It's, it's ludicrous. It's Dr. Dre. It's Tupac. Uh, it, 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 it just, it was taking things way, way too far for no reason at all. And I, I could tell at that point that it was just like, okay, I'm not going to get anything out of this guy's lecture because he's just too militant in a way that doesn't help me. But, but I had been paying attention. I was trying to understand what he was saying. And the next time I sat down with my manuscript, which was a couple of days later, I was worried. You know, it was like, what if I have tons of adverbs and what if I have tons of passive voice? But I didn't. It wasn't nearly as bad as the examples he was using, where it was a very roundabout, like artsy fartsy way of saying something. Right. You know, he he hated it when there wasn't an object. No, no, there wasn't a subject that was clear in the sentence, like a good time was had by all. Right. You know, the subject is all, I guess. You know, we had a good time for him was a much better sentence than a good time was had by all. Anyhow, that's just one example. There are times when somebody can be so set in how they write that they assume that everybody writes that same way. And one thing that people go to over and over and over again is this five o'clock in the morning thing to the point where in my notes, I leaned over to you and I said, okay, I'm going to. I'm going to mark every time somebody says, I get up at five o'clock in the morning so I can do my writing. I'll mark it every single time. And granted, it was only, I think, twice in the first day that somebody used that. And the rest of the time, nobody said anything about it. But I can't do it. My brain is not, it doesn't function in that way. If I get up in the morning, I'm not creative. I don't have energy. I don't, it just, it doesn't work for me. But because it works for, you know, Brandon Sanderson or something like that, people tend to latch onto that and say, you know, this guy writes hundreds of thousands of words a year. And so that must be the way you do it. But using his name, now he's, he's always the go-to example that I use because, because he's my enemy. He's the enemy of all humanity, really. <laughs> I mean, he comes to this world and says, you're not strong enough to take care of yourselves you weak, pathetic humans that can't shoot light beams out of your eyes. (laughs) So I'm going to come in and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be your, your daddy so that you never have to grow up. Anyway, one of the panels that I went to that I found really helpful was about distraction. Yeah. And that that was one that uh, I didn't go to. I can't remember what I, what else I went to. 
but that was probably one I should have should have gotten to. It was probably the panel I enjoyed the most, and it had the most to say to me that I could use. And it was, first off, they said, you know, everybody thinks that distractions are bad. You know, your phone distracts you from what you're supposed to be doing and all that. But distractions are necessary for the human brain. And they were saying, you know, you can't, you, you burn yourself out if you try and focus too hard, too long on something. You have to distract yourself. And everybody is different. There are people with ADHD or whatever that have to break things up much more often. But... Even His Holiness, Brandon Sanderson, can't write for more than two hours at a time. He has to take a break. And so they, on the panel, they had one of his personal assistant or his, whatever you would call the person that goes in and takes all of his work as soon as he's finished it and goes through and finds contradictions and this guy's name was spelled a different way before and now I'm going to go through all the other books in the Stormlight Archive and make sure that it all fits in and doesn't contradict. There's there's a word for that too and it's not copy editor. <laughs> Maybe it is. Maybe it's the exact same thing that the anti-adverbs guy said. <laughs> but she said that, that Brandon will write, you know, early in the morning for two hours. And then he has to take a break and he'll eat breakfast, you know, spend time with his kids or whatever. He sends his kids off to school. And once the kids are off to school, he'll sit down again and write for two more hours. But two hours is the maximum. He sets a timer or perhaps she is his timer, which would be really, really weird. And he does it. He splits it up throughout the day where he goes and he has to answer correspondence. And I guess he's, you know, getting phone calls from Hollywood and stuff like that now. And he will dedicate himself for that two-hour block to one thing. And then he goes on to something else, whether it's something that he enjoys or it's something else that he has to do. And I found that a little bit humanizing, actually, because I had heard these stories about how he's the anti-George R.R. R. Martin and, you know, can do it all and never stops writing and doesn't need to sleep. And according to John Byrne's biography of Brandon Sanderson, he will never, ever have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but, but yeah, they were talking about like, set a, a timer when you sit down to write for 20 minutes. And when that timer goes off, maybe your mind has been wandering or maybe you've been playing Sudoku or you've been doodling or, you know, you started to snooze, which happens to me when I'm doing the audio editing all the time. I will fall asleep. But they said that 20-minute alarm will, will go off and then reset it so it will go off again in 20 minutes and refocus and see if you can, you know, focus really heavily for 20 minutes. Then you can take a little break. Go get something to drink. Use the bathroom. Check your email, whatever it is. There was a guy on the panel who has a dog, like a German Shepherd or something like that. I like German Shepherds, so I said that. It was probably something else. But he says, I have this dog that requires me to walk it every single day. And the dog doesn't care how into writing the guy is, how like, you know, it needs to go. And it wants to go outside for 45 minutes. And this this just was really alien to me, this idea of the that... You go on a 45-minute walk with your dog every single day. It seemed like a tremendous burden. 
But the guy was like, no, I look forward to this. Because for 45 minutes, I walk the dog and I get some exercise. I get some fresh air and nature. And I think about writing. I think about what I'm working on. I think about character development and plot twists and dialogue and arguments and stuff. And when I come back from that walk and sit down, it's the most productive I am for the whole day because I've just been doing something else, but thinking about it and preparing myself for the time when I can sit down and write. Anyway, I really liked hearing that. It made me feel like I can do that. I can go for a walk or set a timer for 20 minutes or do some exercise or get something to eat or whatever and then go back and write some more and maybe your batteries have recharged just a little, you know. My nephews have a switch and it has a, a battery on it so you can play it anywhere in the house. But that battery winds down and down and down. And then once it's about to die, they'll plug it in and say, okay, let's do something else. And then come back in a half an hour and we'll play some more because the charger will have recharged just a little bit. Right. And maybe this is a stupid analogy, but that's what I thought of when they were saying 20 minutes, you know? Anybody, well, almost anybody can focus for 20 minutes, can write for 20 minutes. I will go to the library, as you know, Bob. As you know, Bob. And there's fewer distractions there. But even then, it's, it's a rare trip to the library that I don't surf the internet, that I don't go onto Wikipedia, that I don't check my email and screw around instead of writing. And the whole point I go to the library is someplace where it's just to write, where there's no other things, no other activities. Nobody's going to talk to me. <sighs> And yet even that, I have a real hard time focusing on it. And I, I beat myself up about it because it's like, shoot, dude, I only have 45 minutes before the library closes and I can't even write for 45 minutes. But going to this panel made me feel a little bit better because they said everybody needs a distraction. Everybody needs to put their brain on hold or, or you know, whatever activity they're doing on hold so that they're better when they go back to it. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, I I also waste, to me, it seems like I waste so much time watching YouTube videos or, you know, checking Facebook or reading articles or whatever it is. And most of it is, is meaningless stuff for what I'm trying to do in writing. And then 20 minutes has gone by and I haven't done anything. But I guess if I was writing for 20 minutes and then wasting time for 20 minutes and then going back and writing for another 20 minutes, maybe that would be more productive. Well, like I said, it's something that you can try. And and that solution is not going to be the solution for everybody. You know, there, there are people that, uh, that are, are worse at concentrating than than we are. And I know we've talked about this before, but George R. R. Martin, I saw him in an interview, and it sounds like writing is the absolute worst thing <laughs> in his life where he has to do it. And he says, you know, there are days when he sits down and he writes and he's sat down for hours and he doesn't even get a page written. And I, I feel bad about that 
because there, there are times when you're writing and it, the words just start to flow and you feel on top of the world. You feel like, wow, I am, behold what I have created, you know, it's the thunder, you're, you're Dr. Frankenstein or whatever. <laughs> and I get the impression that maybe Martin used to be like that, but he isn't anymore. And that, yeah, that's, that's, that's awful. Can you uh, think of a, a, a panel that you particularly enjoyed or one that <laughs> the opposite happened? <laughs> well, uh, th- there were several that I enjoyed. I think one of them that sparked my interest in creativity the most was one that you got kicked out of. <laughs> there was a, a panel called Keep Them Wanting More. Uh, I think the guy's name was uh, John D. Brown. And we had heard him before talk about thrillers and stuff like that. Uh, But the room, when we got in there, was like standing room only. And they kept telling us, you know, fire code calls for only the number of people that had chairs. And if there's not a chair for you, then there's, there's not enough room. But in this particular one, several people were standing or sitting on the floor. And uh, I was kind of standing in the back, assuming that I was going to get kicked out. Um, But then I asked somebody, because they reserve seats for volunteers that kind of help out with with each panel. And that was blank. It had the little binder on it saying, you know, this is reserved. But there was no (laughs) volunteer. So finally... When the guy was, you know, coming in to kick people out, I said, "Hey, is is that vol- is the volunteer coming?" He says, "Oh, is there not one here?" And you know, looked around, didn't see a volunteer, and so he said, "Yeah, you can go ahead and use that chair." So I sat in it, and then uh, you were on the floor, and eventually he came through and started kicking everybody out that wasn't in a chair. But <laughs> I felt bad. So I'm like, oh, here we go again. I'm getting into something that Rich wanted to go to. And <laughs> anyway, the, the panel was called Keep Him Wanting More. And he talked about something that he learned by what he noticed in really good movies and books that he liked. And he says, but there really wasn't a name for it or nobody had given, you know, it wasn't like something that Stephen King had written of in a book, but... Uh, basically the, the theory that he talked about was, or tactic, I guess, was trigger and delay. So you want to trigger your reader or interest them in something, you know, write something that makes them want to know more, but then don't tell them right away, delay that and, and, and get back to that later. And you can have several triggers throughout your story that are interlaced and, and whatever. And he, he went into some examples like, I can't remember all the movies that he used, but the one that I, I do remember was he talked about the, the movie, The Greatest Showman, and the scene where the showman first sees this singer out on stage. And we watch him see her and just his face is just amazed and he's blown away by her talent and her beauty and all this stuff. And then he says, we also see his wife sitting in the audience and she's looking at him and looking at the woman, the singer. So that's the trigger right there. 
what's going to happen with this love triangle or it's, you know, the potential for something. And he says, you know, it takes a long time before anything about that is resolved. But all the while there's this lingering thought or idea and it just kind of mounts. And so it gets delayed for a long time and that keeps the interest of the viewer in on that. And he talked about how the uh, television industries in the seventies, you know, once there was the remote control that people could just flip the channel when the commercial comes. So they started putting, have a cliffhanger kind of thing just before the commercial to keep the viewer watching until the commercial was over and they came back. But he says, you, if you read, especially like mystery novels and, and, you know, compelling books, you'll see that you can recognize this. And he, he encouraged us to, when we read a, a book to mark down the triggers and see how long it takes for the writer to pay those off. You're building anticipation by doing that. The one thing that he says, readers want to know what might happen more than they want to know what will happen. And so let their imaginations go somewhere and build that anticipation. But he says, eventually you do have to pay off the trigger. You can't just leave it and never answer. It's a delay, not a, <laughs> not, not leaving it open-ended. Um, so anyway, I, I just got a lot of that kind of kicked gears in my head to think, oh, you know, I could do that. I was thinking of the story that I'm currently writing for the, my, my contest. And, uh, I said, oh, I could write that a little differently at the beginning of the, the story. And, uh, when I introduce this character, I can make it kind of mysterious and then wait a while before we meet that person or know what they're all about. So I, I got a lot out of that one. Well, that's cool. The, you know, when you said triggers, trigger has a negative connotation for me now. Oh, that's true. Because that's true. I think about people being told that there's a trigger warning in what we're about to hear. And, uh, but it's a positive thing, at least in, in his panel. Can you give a definition or remember how he defined trigger? Just, you know, planting that anticipation presenting a puzzle or a mystery or just a question that the reader will have in their own mind, giving them this, this information or a look at something. And so it's kind of just an event that inspires a question and, and builds that anticipation in there, I guess. Yeah. It seems like that would have been a really good panel to go to. I mean, I, I wanted to, and a bunch of other people wanted to, it was in a very small room. There were so many people, I think I got there eight minutes before the panel started, which is really early. And it was already full. Yeah. And he said, well, people can take those chairs that the panelists sit on because it's just going to be me. And so that was like five extra people got to sit down. And then he says, and you know, I'm just going to be standing the whole time. So somebody can take my chair. And that was yet another space <laughs> and then yeah just the rest of us just lined up against the wall and sat down on the floor and yeah while uh he was talking i could hear somebody in the back of the room like whispering and i was just like who is that who is who is chattering at the back of the room and what it was was yeah the fire marshal going from person to person saying you can't sit here you have to leave and eventually it got to me and i realized 
Yeah, that everybody else he had spoken to had gotten up and left. There was nobody who was just like, nope, you can't move me. And so I, I wasn't going to be that guy. I, <laughs> I, I got up and left. Yeah, there was the guy that was sitting next to you. He was giving him a pretty hard time about it, but eventually he left too. So yeah, I, it's, yeah, they need to... Well, I guess it's hard to know which panels are going to be the most popular, but it'd be nice if they had more more room in some of those panels. And now a word from our sponsor. Stephen Biochko presents a different kind of police drama. Loogie, you're a child genius. You can be whatever you want. An engineer, an astronaut, the technician who checks power meters behind people's houses, a kid doctor, everything except a normal young person with basic natural childhood development. What would you like to do? I want to be a policeman. He was the youngest graduate of the police academy. I want to be a policeman. Well, you are. Congratulations, Loogie. Thank you, Sergeant. It's an honor. Here's your badge, and here's your sidearm. Could I have some Pokemon cards, too? Officer Wallace, meet your new partner. What the hell? He's just a little kid. Hey, I'm a cop just like you. Just like the Sarge here. Just like the ones on Paw Patrol. Now he's hitting the streets to clean up New York City. Do you know why I pulled you over, sir? Say what? You're just a little kid. I'm an officer of the law, and you were doing 60 in a school zone. How old are you? I'm seven years old, sir. I might have been going to that school you just blew past in your shiny sports car. You saying I stole this thing? Well, now that you mention it, could you pop the trunk, sir? I'd like to see you make me. Don't make me use this, sir. Now please, pop the trunk. Well, 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 at least 20 kilos of black tar heroin. You have the right to remain silent. He's on the street when things get dangerous. You looking for a good time? No, ma'am. I'm on duty. Oh, no. You're not a cop. You're a little kid. I'm a fully accredited police officer, ma'am. Could I see your ID, please? You lost, little boy. I can help you find your mama. I'm afraid prostitution is a class A felony. No, wait. I am a prostitute, sure, but I wasn't propositioning you. I genuinely wanted to help. Well, I appreciate that, but you have a right to remain silent. And for a child cop, the danger never lets up. Freeze! <laughs> I thought you coppers had me, but you're nothing but a little kid. I am a certified city police officer, and you're under arrest, you human scum. I don't think so. You see, the canvas of this cesspool of a city must be washed in red before it can be clean anew. I think you've claimed your last victim, Mr. Faust. Oh no, 
the bloodshed has only just begun. Tis a trickle now, but soon the arteries will all flow freely. Please, sir, put down the knife. There's nowhere for you to go. You'll never take me alive, pig. I don't want to have to do this. That's how I was as a boy, but I got a taste for it. Maybe you will too. <laughs> Please, I'm warning you. You don't have the stones. I was the top marksman in my class at the academy once I figured out how to hold the gun steady. Have your balls even dropped, kid? No, and it's inappropriate to ask that of a little boy, not to mention gross. Oh, you want to see gross? Check this out. Sir, please, I will fire, sir. Coming this September to ABC, Loogie Hauser, PD. Yeah, I feel like we ought to mention the woman that brought her screaming baby to every, oh, no. uh, every panel as well. <laughs> Because the funny thing was, it wasn't just one panel, but it was multiple panels that you and I happened to go to. Yes. That she also was at. The baby was toddler age, which is worse, I guess, than a newborn because the baby was walking around, tipping things over and grabbing hold of microphones. And I'm trying to remember what you said at the very, very beginning. It's like, well, it's too bad, you know, maybe... Maybe her husband had to work or something. Right. And then he came in. He was there. So it was the three of them, the wife, the husband, and the screaming baby. And then she also had like a preteen daughter who clearly had been invited to control the child, to, you know, to be the babysitter. Right. But instead of taking the baby out when the baby would cry or run around, she would just lay down on the floor. I'm assuming that she was on her phone or something like that. Or she would take the baby out, uh-huh. but then she'd come back in and talk to her mom or try to bring the baby and the baby would start crying. She'd leave again and she just kept coming back. And, you know, the, the first time we, we encountered this lady, she was the moderator of the panel and she was holding her baby and she gave it like a like an aluminum can that was opened and mouth on. I was like, that baby's going to cut its tongue out. So, you know, so she would ask a question to the panel and then she would fuss with her baby and then ask another question. And and the baby kept dropping the aluminum can and the panelist or an audience member would go pick it up. (laughs) You know, I was trying to give her the benefit of the doubt saying, oh, she's probably in a tough spot. But then she just kept like over all three days she was there with this child. And then, like he said, the husband was there and and uh, that was the. The thing I talked most about <laughs> when I got home, I was like, oh, you can't believe this lady that was there. And I'm pretty accommodating for kids, you know. I mean, you know, when I go to church, there's kids and stuff, and you just kind of, you know, oh, yeah, that's that's fine. But this wasn't church. People were paying for this <laughs> event, and she's moderating a panel, and here she is with her child. Yeah, I got to the point where I'm like, if there's another panel and she's there, I'm just not... I'm. I'm going to go to a different panel. So. <laughs> Luckily, that that was the only instance of that. But Yeah, there, there was a couple other panels I enjoyed. I went to one about how to write for middle grade books. 
that would be interesting, I think, to write a middle grade book, which is pretty much preteen people that are in middle school or uh, close in that range. And that was pretty interesting. There, there was a lot of good back and forth. You know, several of the panelists said, well, this is what I've done. And like one of the questions that was asked was like, well, how do you know how to write for kids that age? You know, a lot of them were, one lady was like in her late 70s and, you know, several of the panelists were middle-aged or whatever. And you know, they said, well, I just talked to my kids or I talked to my grandkids or I talked to kids that I know, you know, nieces, nephews, that kind of thing. And then one guy said, well, I don't really have kids that are related to me that I can talk to. And it's kind of creepy if I were to hang out with kids at the playground or something to talk to them. <laughs> so I said, I, a lot of times go talk to librarians of middle schools or local libraries and ask them, what books are the kids reading? What books do they like? And then he'll read those books and kind of get a feel for, for it. So that was interesting, you know, how to do that. And then, uh, I went to another one. It's pretty much encouraging you to enter the, uh, writers of the future contest. And they had several of the winners there and, and gave some pointers and whatnot. And that was it. I've always been interested it, not lately, but previously, when I was trying to get serious about writing, I really wanted to enter that contest or series of contests. So maybe I'll I'll do that in the future. So now I'm trying to remember. I you said something about that panel, and I can't remember if if you answered the question. If if you win Writers of the Future, you're out of the contest, right? You can't enter the next time. Yeah, I think if you're like one of the top three winners. But if you're a, an honorable mention or you're a finalist, you can continue to enter until you become a winner. So, that, yeah, that, that's interesting. I, I guess it's a good uh, goal or not goal, but uh, a prompt, you know, it's like, hey, every quarter these guys have a contest. I need to write a story every quarter and enter it into the contest. So it's kind of the, the carrot <laughs> leading you to, to write, I guess, but. Well, did they uh, make it sound like it was this super difficult thing? Because I've gone to panels before where it says, you know, I sold this story and I submitted it to 103 markets before it finally found its home. And like, and there couldn't be a man, woman or infant child in the room that didn't think 103 markets. I, I wasn't aware there were 103 markets. Holy <laughs> right. smoke, really? That's what it takes. Did they present it like that or did they make it sound like no anybody in here can win yeah they they gave some pointers you know as as to the types of stories that typically win you know that uh they're very well it, it's a spec fic market so it's gonna be fantasy or science fiction or horror or something like that so you know they say make sure you you do have that element and that it's introduced up front just you know some of the typical things you hear you want to have a strong voice. You want the character to have a lot of heart and you want a person with a relevant problem that's in jeopardy. So some of those types of tips, but they did say if you submit to the contest and you don't win or anything, we'll take that story and submit it somewhere else and keep, you know, keep shopping it. I guess that's another thing is if you don't win the contest, at least you have another 
story out there to find somewhere else or to publish it yourself. <laughs> I do have on here, I forgot, I just saw this. One of the headliners there, or guests of honor, was uh, Nina Kariki Hoffman. And she was one of the first winners. Like, I think it was the second year they ran the contest. She was one of the winners. But I don't think it was her. I thought it, I think it was another lady. And she says, well, I wrote about a geriatric protagonist. And she won one. She goes, I think that, you know, that was a fresh voice out there having a, a geriatric protagonist. I thought, oh, I have to tell Rish about that. So I'm glad I read this note while we're talking about it here. <laughs> she used those exact words, she geriatric did. protagonist? She used those exact words. That's why I wrote it down. I was like, oh, hey. I think about 80% of the panels, though, we went to together, I think. Yeah, well, we would talk about it. And for the most part, we had the same interests or we had the same uh, the, the things appealed to us in the same way. And um, as one thing that I was telling you about that I had never seen before, and maybe I'm just, I am a geriatric protagonist myself, but there was one panel that was very, very full and you had to sit by strangers, you know, squeeze in everybody so we can fit more people into this room. And so there was somebody on my right and somebody on my left, and both of them had notebooks. And they opened the notebook but instead of using a pen or a pencil, they used a stylus. And I realized that these were digital notebooks, but right. they were made to look like they were actual old-timey, not old-timey, but traditional paper notebooks. And it translated their handwriting into text. And the woman that was sitting on my right, it translated her writing into cursive handwriting. And the man on my left, it turned his into type, typeset. I was fascinated by this. I thought this was really, really interesting to see their notes be transformed before my eyes. And then, you know, they could save them, save the files and go through and edit the files later. And I had not seen this device before. And now suddenly I was seeing two on either side of me. And I wondered... You know, I, I, I always carry a notebook uh, in my backpack at all times, and I don't use it very often anymore. I wonder if I would use this device if I, if I even knew what it was called more. Because, you know, when you're writing a short story in your notebook, eventually you have to type it up. And that is time-consuming, and there are lots of times when I was like, oh, I'm not going to bother on that story. That wasn't a very good story. But if I already had it in text form, then I could just, you know, I put it out there or throw it in as a bonus story in a collection or something. Yeah. Do you know what that is called? What what the digital notebooks are? I don't. I, Does I don't have a name. I don't know if it's like a name brand, like a, you know, a Kindle or a Fire or something like that, or if it's uh, an off brand kind of thing, but. I know people use their phones like that sometimes or their tablets, but it's nice that it's converted to text rather than, you know, something you would have to transcribe later. Yeah, technology moves really, really fast. I, I'm only just a couple of years away from declaring it witchcraft <laughs> when somebody is doing something next to me. But um, the very last panel that we went to, and I found this interesting, uh, was... Uh, just just for entertainment. And I, yeah, that's something that I had suggested to you before you came down is 
you know, you get panels that seem like they might have something interesting to teach you. Or, you know, it's like, okay, this is, this is something that's weak in my prose. I want to focus on this. But then also pick a couple of panels that just seem like they might be relaxing and fun, you know, just of, of fandom or something. There was a, a woman that years ago had, had written a whole book about lessons that could be learned from the TV show Supernatural. Right. And she was there again this year and doing that panel again where she was just talking about how you could learn from the show Supernatural to make your writing better. And uh, I didn't make it this year. I think it was at the same time as another panel that I wanted to go to more, or it might have been like the 9 a.m. panel, and I didn't get there until like 9.15. Not sure. But uh, the very last panel that we went to was a dramatic reading. And the, the, the writer, do you remember his name? Uh, Phil Foglio or something like that. Right. Okay. Good job. He uh, was a cartoonist for Wizard, not Wizard Magazine, Dragon Magazine. Dragon Magazine back in the day. Yeah. Right. And I think it was called What's New with Phil and Lisa. (laughs) I I, I may be wrong, but I think that that's what the cartoon was called. And it went for like 20 years. Anyway, he had written a few of these essentially audio dramas, right? Where it's it's short plays that worked really, really well, you know, for radio or audio or podcast or whatever. And he would ask for volunteers from the audience to read the characters. And there were various adventures he had written. They were throwback, fun, pulp, science fiction adventures. Yeah. Uh, space opera kind of stuff. With very, very tongue-in-cheek, lots of winks at the audience of tropes and the history of, of the genre stuff. And I could tell that, and, and you could tell too, but the guy was disappointed that so few people had shown up yeah. for this. And, and like I said, it was the very, very last panel that we went to. And maybe it was the last hour of the whole conference, in which case people are burned out or people are hungry, or people are tired, or yeah. yeah, their brains are just full after so much input. And it was just before the big gala banquet that they were going to do. Oh, okay. So yeah, I think it was the last panel of the whole conference before the gala. Uh, it reminded me of stuff that we did at the New Media Expo, where we we did a podcast live kind of thing of, of a story reading. or what, and um, Yeah. So he had some of us volunteer... In fact, it was weird. He had us audition at the very beginning of the panel of the people that want to audition for this part. And so, yeah, I raised my hand and I got to do... It was a really meaty, juicy part. And I'm lucky that it wasn't just like some part with three lines. Right. Because you'd be standing up there forever. Right. There was one lady who actually couldn't stand anymore. They had to get her a chair. She started to wobble from standing for so long. Anyhow, he was the narrator, and then he had all of us just, I guess, perform it. But none of us had ever seen the story before or any of the lines, and some people had a harder time than others, just sight reading or whatever you would call that. But I thought it was really funny and well-written and entertaining. But yeah, I got the impression that he was really bummed about it, that he... He was disappointed by the turnout and maybe by our performances. 
So who are you, sir? Arr, I be Captain Salvadori Blacksteel, but me shipmates call me Salty. You're a pirate. Belay that. Oh, oh, I understand your confusion, but I am simply a European of piratical descent. Oh, what? Me father was a pirate, as was me dame. They sailed the seven seas of thundering ships and terrorizing half the port cities of the known world, as did their parents before them. But I myself am a simple scientist and inventor. Arr. But you're wearing an eye patch, a blousy shirt, leather pants, and thigh-high boots. I do have some ethnic pride. I'm pretty sure that pirate isn't of recognized ethnic. You have a parrot on your shoulder! I'm a macaw, actually. No, no, I don't expect you to remember the distinction. Which one tastes better? Oh, here we go again with the threats of implied violence. But... Yeah, it made me want to write that kind of stuff. I I always enjoyed writing little sketches and stuff for us to get together and perform when we were together in Las Vegas or just over a, like a Skype call kind of thing. I, I I was jealous of of what he had written and obviously had written several of them, and it just seems like it would be really really fun to hear strangers performing your lines and hear the audience laugh. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was a lot of fun to to listen to and and just to be a part of and uh, just, you know, and even though everybody wasn't an expert narrator or actor, you know, there were enough of you that were. It was enjoyable to to listen to. Yeah, every time there was a one of the actors that was always late in delivering their lines, and so there was always a long pause in the script, and every time he would just kind of. Put his head down and, uh, you know, get frustrated. I don't think he was worried about the the quality of their voice necessarily, but just the delays. He really, that really bothered him every time somebody didn't pick up on the line. <laughs> yeah, he he was an older guy. He was kind of curmudgeonly, I got the impression. Uh, he was, yeah. But yeah, yeah that, that was a highlight for me of the whole weekend, just how fun that was and, and also being able to perform and to hear people laugh at something that I had said, even though I didn't write it, it just, you know, I, I love that sort of thing. Yeah. Your, your character was probably the, the funniest part of it. Yeah. And that's why I, I was, I just was like, wow, I, I lucked out on being given this part. There are, there are snow, no small parts though. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but uh you know not not everybody is that way there there we you and I went to a panel and there was a lady there and I guess there were supposed to be other people or the, or or oh, uh, the her co-panelist hadn't shown up yet and she was talking about how nervous she was and at one point she held up her hand and it was just shaking yeah you know there are people that are really intimidated by standing in front of crowds or standing in front of strangers and uh and so, yeah, I, I, I'm lucky to not be that way. Yeah, it's interesting. I really think that we could come up with a, some kind of a panel, not necessarily maybe about writing, but about podcasting or something. We could we could probably come up with something. For that, well, so. one I've always wanted to, to do is, you know, so you want to be an audiobook narrator, right? Explain how I you know, got started working for Audible and that you can too. 
you know, and you don't have to have a, a $10,000 audio setup and you, you can upload it yourself and you can, you, you know, you can put out your own audiobooks or you can volunteer to do it for other people. I, I think I would enjoy imparting that knowledge and the experience that I have gained through that. And yeah, you and I could totally, uh, I mean, uh, other podcasters as well, but do a podcast panel of, you know, 10 things I have learned from starting my own podcast. Yeah. And, uh, I guess the, the, the only thing is if people said, well, how many people download your podcast? I'd be like, Oh, quite a few. <laughs> Sometimes as many as three. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't boast my stats, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we recently, we had our three crossover episodes with you and me and big Anklevich doing our, um, it was sort of a broken mirror kind of thing. I'd be careful what you wish for crossover. Yeah. And I tweeted about the three I'm I'm not really into Twitter. I don't understand Twitter yet, and so I'm 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 I don't use it a lot. But uh, I did go ahead and plug my Rich Outcast episode, for Fountain of Knowledge, on Twitter, which I don't usually do. And the next time I went to my blog, that page, the the, the Fountain of Knowledge had so many more clicks than any other uh, blog post, uh, you know, of, of the past year. And I thought, oh, wow, that's the power of Twitter, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Because I know you retweeted it and the, the human, human scum, scum retweeted it. And so maybe I should do that every single time. Yeah. But if it's working. The mentioning that as many as three people listened to my podcast reminded me of that <laughs> is that more than three people listened to that particular episode, unless they just went to the page and was like, nah, and went away. The world may never know. Well, I, I feel like we've been going for a long time. Maybe not. But I, I hope that you were able to get maybe not something out of every single panel, but something every single day that you were there giving you ideas or giving you encouragement or like I always say, just being around people who are creative, who are passionate about art, who want to write, who want to better themselves, you know, that can be infectious. That writing is a solitary, lonely thing. It's just you and the blank screen a lot of the time. Yeah. And to be around other people who know how it feels and have, have just as much passion, if not more, for it than you do. I, I like that. I like the sense of community at a writer's conference, too. For the most part, everybody is very friendly. Everybody is encouraging. The, you know, I didn't hear a single time this whole three days where somebody said, if you, if you can be anything other than a writer, do it. <laughs> you know, you, you'll often hear that. You'll often hear, you know, what advice would you give to a, 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 a writer just starting out? Don't do it. Run. Jeez. Kind of thing. And, and I didn't hear that at all. Yeah, no, I didn't either. One of the fun things, the other, well, I'd already talked about Nina Creaky Hoffman. 
And uh, I, I recognized her name because she she has been on, uh, I think, Podcastle and Pseudopod and a couple of those Escape Artist podcasts before. Anyway, she, she, she was there. And we went to the keynotes every day. And those were generally pretty good. Uh, but for her keynote, she just uh, did a bunch of writing exercises. She gave us scenarios to write about and gave us five, ten minutes or whatever. And uh, that was kind of fun. And then we went to a panel after that where she had done up these roll-up sheets where she had several different scenarios uh, to roll up a wizard or a werewolf or a were creature or just all these different types of things. And she would give this to us and say, okay. And then she gave us all a 20-sided a die and we'd roll out these scenarios and then she'd give us time to write those stories and that was i mean it was really quick especially for me i didn't get a lot written but it was kind of fun just to spur the moment brainstorm and it's kind of cool i still have those sheets and uh, i probably use them to write stories or something but uh that was kind of fun i really enjoyed that as well yeah i'm glad that you brought that up i had forgotten until you mentioned it but that was that was fun You'll hear about people going on like writer's retreats or something like that, where there will be like an instructor and they will say something and then say, okay, for the next half hour, write. And this was like a very compact version of that. Yeah. Where she would say, okay, this is, is your character and roll to decide their gender and their age. And, and yeah, they, if they were a shapeshifter, what do they turn into? And where is the place that they do it? And what benefit do they get by shifting? And, and, and what's we, their limitation? And she gave us these dice and it was just random what they were going to land on. And then she said, now write a scene where your character needs to get somewhere. And there are there, there are obstacles. I think she may have said the family is standing in their way, in her way. And then she gave us, what, seven minutes, five minutes, yeah, three really minutes. Quick. I'm not sure how long <laughs> it was, but it was just long enough that I was like, oh, oh, I like this. This is really, oh, no, 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 don't tell us to stop. And yeah, that, that's a good feeling when, you, uh, when you're just like, oh, hey, this is starting to come together. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I would like to go back to that that I wrote in that panel and, yeah, try and expand on it. Yeah, there was, you know, we went through like, I don't know. I don't know, Margo. Four or five different things there. So, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. I And it, that was towards the end of, that was on the last day as well. And so that that was kind of a fun way to end it. And then we went into the radio play after that, so. Yeah, so you've got to remember that you... Uh... That you did do some writing. I did. That's true. <laughs> and, and, you know, of course, like I said with the adverbs, that's not going to work for everybody. Somebody, you know, rolls a die and they just like, ugh. None of this is like, you know, this isn't what I want to write about kind of thing. This doesn't work for me. This is a waste of time. But for me, it was just, it was a very easy way to get into something that I hadn't planned fate planned it for me or she planned it for me but i i was getting into it i could totally write a story about a shapeshifter on a space station because that's just how it happened to roll yeah when when she gave us and it was it's how you generate characters for role play right 
is where she had gotten the idea for this. But you can do it for your writing as well. Yeah. Uh, there, there was a lot of role playing. Uh, well, you know, there, there's a gaming track. And um, I think you access probably the same creative part of your brain when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons or, you know, that make-believe as when you're writing. You're using your imagination and just letting it take you somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought that was a great way to, because it's fun as well as, you know, spurs creativity and just gives you a prompt built in right there. And you could take that same sheet and roll again and get a totally different scenario, different character, different thing. I mean, maybe over time it would get repetitive, but I think she had a whole book that she had done of, of these kinds of worksheets, but uh, she just handed out six of them or so for us to use for this panel. But I'm going to keep them. I'm going to hold on to them. So Yeah, I will too. It's cool that you brought that up. Uh, there's one more thing that I wanted to say, and I've, I've, I've kept it till the end, and maybe you can guess what it is, and maybe it's too repetitive. But you and I were uh, trying to get into a panel, and the one before it hadn't let out yet. And so what happens is you wait until the door is open, and then you wait for all the people to file out of that room, and then you can go sit down. And so the doors opened and the people started filing out. And one of the people, one of the women that was on the panel ran down by the door and she was handing out bookmarks to the people as they were leaving her panel. And she says, you know, this is for my book, Adelaine, or, you know, fill in the blank, whatever the book was called. And she says, here, it's really good. And this is for my book, Adelaine. It's a great book. Here you go. <laughs> this is for my book, Adelaine. It's great. And I heard her say it over and over again. And I just marveled. I just really have always had a problem with that, with self-promotion, with saying this is something that is good and you should read it or buy it or listen to it or download it. And to just see this woman do this over and over and over again. And she was consistently excited about her own work for all of these people that came through the, the door. You know what I mean? She maintained this level of enthusiasm. This is my book, Adelaide. It's really good. Here you go. This is my book, Adelaide. You'll love it. It's available in the bookstore. Here you go. And I just, yeah, I, I, I want to incorporate that into my personality. It may be too late for me, but it's certainly something that I would aspire to is to be like that person and say, you know, I have a podcast and I, and I think this episode was really funny because it's brought to you by Dengarzaru, <laughs> which is not the same as Dengarzaprim, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would probably qualify that. You know, if I was selling, I'd probably say, I, I really like this book. I think it's really good. You know, I wouldn't say this is great. You're going to love it. You know, I would put in some of those. I think it's really good. You know, but if, if we sat her down, she might tell you that that is, that's not as effective to say, I think. Yeah. She says, you just tell them that they will love it. You just tell them that it's great. Yeah. Maybe I should have taken her aside and said, Hey, I saw you do that over and over and over again. And that just blows me away. Well done. But I didn't. 
And, you know, you never know if that's going to be creepy or what. Right. For the most part, the people on the panels, they seem to really respond to somebody coming up to them and saying, I got a lot out of your panel. I really enjoyed what you said. Or one of the things that you said stuck with me. And uh, I know that I've told you this before, but I went to a panel years ago of, you know, writing your first novel. And I wrote my first novel after going to that panel. And the next year I told him, I followed your steps. I did what you said and I did it. And he was just like, oh, that's great. Oh, wow. I could tell that he didn't hear that a lot. Yeah. Or, or maybe he did hear it a lot, but he was able to maintain that enthusiasm. So it sounded like the first time he heard it, which is just as good, if not better. And uh, yeah, well, just lessons to apply to the, the rest of the months that you're not going to a writer's conference. <laughs> no, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm planning on going next year again. So, and hope. Oh, wow. That'd be great. Okay. It would be so cool if we could somehow get big. Thunder to come too but uh yeah no that'd be fun he's too big for his britches so and hopefully i can turn any enthusiasm or t- or knowledge that i learned into words on the page the rest of this year yeah well you've got those notes in front of you and hopefully you can you're not like me who writes them down and then never looks at them again <laughs> you can go and refer to those notes and it's just the same as, as it was in school where you would take notes and, and that, that gives you something, but not as much as going back and reviewing those notes before the test or before the quiz. Right. You know, it's something that you already knew and you're reminding yourself that you've known it. Maybe I sound too intellectual right now. And if so, savor the flavor because it's sure never going to happen again. Okay, well, hey, I really want to thank you for coming on here and talking to me. This is the fourth or fifth time that we've tried to do this, and I just, <laughs> I, I sabotaged us the other day where I, uh, we were getting ready to go, and I was waiting for you to call, and then I got distracted, and I went to my phone, and, and you had tried like three times. <laughs> hey, are we podcasting? Where are you? Hello? And I had spaced it. Uh, <laughs> I know. You, you went You went and saw Cocaine Bear. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, life lessons that you can get out of that, too. You don't have to go to a writer's conference to learn from yeah. Cocaine Bear. <laughs> uh, let people know where they can find you, sir. Uh, you can head on over to journeyintopodcast.blogspot.com. And uh, check that out. You can also go over to Patreon, patreon.com slash journeyinto, and uh, check out all the stuff that's over there. I'm sure you and I will cross paths again. Yeah, definitely. But until that time, you know, I hope that you are creative and able to incorporate some of the things that you heard. And uh, it would be great if the people listening got something out of what we went to as well yeah hopefully yeah thanks for thanks for having me on i'm glad we were able to to kind of talk about it again and sum it all up well it it's exciting that you want to do it again that that's cool that makes me think like well it, it was it was a success for sure 
All right, well, I have been Rich Outfield. I have been Marshall Latham. And good night. <laughs> good night. If you didn't completely despise this episode, why don't you support the show with our Patreon fund over at patreon.com. Every dollar gives me more strength to put Outfield in his place. The Rish Outcast is presented under a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives license. That license enables you to share the file with anyone, but not to charge for it or alter it. A license to kill, by the way, enables me to kill anyone I please, whenever I please. You judge which is better. This be absurd! Here you be kowtowing to this animated hip of fish guts! Ow! Sorry! So sorry you hit me? Ow! No, I was apologizing to everyone else that I didn't hit you sooner. I'll be hitting you every time you open your mouth from now on. <laughs> For how long? Ow! No, lass. Let me love light soothe your savage breast. Uh, and the rest of you, if possible. Ow! Okay. The punching, that's for dooming humanity. Everything else I'm going to do to you. That's personal. Ow! But I didn't say anything! Ow! At this point, I don't really need any more reasons. Are we done then? I think so.